Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to end in verse 21 this morning. Thank you so much, worship team, and thank you so much, Aliana. This is her first time leading worship this Sunday for us people, all right? Our intern has been doing some, some very, very good job, and then, and then she was doing announcements. She was so charismatic. She reminds me of someone, Jasmine, because <laughs> that's her mom. <laughs> All right, just a reminder for next week for our Community Sundays. This is for you guys who are still getting to know Bethel and who we are. You know, we exist to be able to be a bridge of the community and help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. But there are a couple of you who are like, I've only visited here a handful of times, or I'm still trying to figure out what this church is all about and if I can make this my church home. That is what Community Sundays is about. And you can't have fellowship and community without food. <laughs> Will says amen. That's all I need. So 15 minutes after service next week, let's get ready. Let's get into the message this morning. Today we're going to be talking about Abraham and the covenant that he had with God. Now a covenant is literally a contractual promise. It is a promise that has been sealed by a contract. And we know all about promises. We just uh, passed Valentine's Day, and there is a promise during Valentine's Day that you go out with your sweetheart. In fact, the entire music industry is filled with so much music about promises that we make to the one that we love and that we care about the most. And, uh, and also, there are dangerous promises that we'll receive. You guys remember the movie The Terminator? The promise was, I'll be back. All right, that wasn't funny, apparently. <laughs> there is also a very popular song today in Christian music called Promises by Maverick City Music, all talking about the faithfulness of God and how his promises are eternal. But many of us have heard promises given to us, and we have given promises to others. And unfortunately, most of those promises were not followed through with, or oftentimes they've been broken. Anybody else understand? The challenge is, is that after a lifetime of broken promises, we become hard, skeptical, cynical, we don't believe in the promise anymore. There has to be evidence behind it. And the funny thing is that God has given us promises from heaven, promises that are supposed to be eternal, but we have been equated with so much heartbreak that it's hard to be able to believe in him. I'm here to tell you, and I'm here to correct you today, please do not treat God the way that you would treat people. Do not treat God and his promises as you would treat every other person. Every other person will hurt you. Every other person will be imperfect. Every other person will pull back on their promises. That is something that God will never do. <clears throat> 
And how do we know that? Because of what it says in Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not human, that he should lie. Not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God has never broken a promise to anyone. Has he delayed time so that his promises could be fulfilled? Yes, because we're stubborn and hard of heart. And yet at the right time, Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn it, not to judge it, but to save it. The Lord has always had a plan to fulfill his promises. And part one of that plan is what we're going to talk about today with this conversation with Abraham. We started it last week and we're going to continue with it this week. So let's read Genesis 15. We're going to go from verse 18 to verse 20. And it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, Hittites, Parasites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me in a word of prayer? Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you right now and we thank you for your presence that has been in this place. It is because of that presence we were able to celebrate and be filled with joy as people got baptized. It is through that presence that we were able to press in and hear worship. And also hear the voice of the missionaries that were here today. And how you have called them to be able to go and reach out to this world for Jesus Christ. Lord, as we speak about your promises this morning and about your covenant with Abram. Give us eyes to see ears to hear, and more importantly, hands and feet to respond to your message. In Christ's name, amen and amen. <clears throat> this is what you need to remember, okay? God completes what he starts. God completes what he starts. We started Genesis 15 last week, and it was all about a conversation, the first conversation God has with Abram. God has given him commandments. God has told him to travel from the land of his, of his home birth and the place that his father settled to now this land of Canaan. And there have been two specific questions that he has asked about. One is about a physical heir. Somebody who will be, he will be able to pass down his inheritance to. And last week, we talked about how Abram had a contractual obligation with one of his servants because he thought that that was the way that the promise was going to be passed down. And God says, no, Abram, it is going to be one of your children, your children that I have promised to come from you that will inherit this promise. And then he tells Abram to look up at the stars in the sky and try to count them because that will be as many as his descendants will be. But there are two questions that Abram has in this conversation. 
The first one was about a child, and we talked to every, uh, everybody about faith and how that works. Now he's talking about covenant. Will God fulfill his promises? We know that it is yes. But he is unsure, not because he doubts, but because he has been walking this faith journey and needs to be reminded of the goodness of God. You guys know what that's like. You guys know what it feels like to be in the middle of walking with God, not knowing what your purpose is. Not being able to understand where you are going yet. You know what the overall goal is, and that's to have Christ as your Lord and Savior. But where am I going the next step? Hmm? There are a couple of people that just like smirked. <laughs> but remember, God completes what he starts. And we can see it here from this text. Now, there's going to be a lot of R's in this message, and there's going to be a lot of P's because your pastor loves alliteration, okay? It helps me remember, so I hope it helps you remember. And the first thing that I see is God recalls his promises. God recalls his promises, Genesis 15, 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. The first thing that God mentions is his authority, his promises. I am the Lord. That is the biblical name that you and I all know today. It is the first time that the name of God is referenced in Scripture. It's the same name given to Moses in Exodus. It is his highest authority. He is the I am. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Why did Moses ask what his name was? Then, if, if God revealed himself to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob... Why did he have to remind the people what his name was? Because after 400 years of slavery, you would forget the promises of God too. All that time, being away from your homeland and being under oppression, you would need to be reminded too. But God starts with Abram saying, Abram, I am the existing one. The uncaused cause who put everything into power, into balance, in time, and in space. And then he references where he brought Abram out of, Ur of the Chaldeans. But if I read my Bible right, it says that Abram left Haran, this, this country that was in the middle of the journey, that his dad stopped midway through when his family was traveling over. Doesn't God call him there? No. Because God is sovereign and all-powerful. He knows the journey that families take. And God is saying to Abram, before you ever had a vision or a word spoken to you, I had set you apart and put this plan in place. In the same way, God, before you had even acknowledged him, before this church thing was even real, before this faith was ever embedded in you, he had called you and separated a point where you could make a decision for him. He knew you before you knew him. 
every hair that was on your head, every cell that is in your body, God counted as precious. And what was his plan? What was God's promise? To give him and his descendants the land to take possession. He says, Abram, you will be my partner. You are a nobody from nowhere, yet I am choosing to partner with you and make you great. Not so that the people would revere you, but that the people would start and see your faith journey and it would draw them back to me. That is what it has always been about. In fact, when God recalls his promises um, to the people of Israel after taking them out of Egypt, the descendants of Abraham, he starts with the same contract and authority. He starts off with this. I am the Lord your God. Sound familiar? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then after that, we get the commandments. But if it wasn't for that first sentence, if it wasn't for him recalling the promise, the people might forget. But God loves to recall his promises. In fact, let's reflect on the words of the psalmist this morning. Psalm 106, 44 and 45. This is a man that is writing to talk about the promises of God. And he says, nevertheless, he, the Lord, looked at their distress and when he heard their cry and remembered his covenant for their sake he relented according to the greatness of his mercy God recalls the promise every time not only does he recall it but he can give you every detail in fact those of you who are married I'll be able to give you a scenario you guys recall every detail as well I'm like, hold up. When you guys get into an argument, okay, some sp it, it depends on the spouse, but whoever started the argument, what will happen is that the person who was truly offended will remember every single detail about that argument. Every single one of them. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'll use myself as an example, and I was the one that was wrong, always, love you. So, I'm like, Vanessa, that is something that I've never said. I'll, I'll say something like that. I've never said that. And she would be like, on the second day in the year of our Lord, 2014, you had a blue shirt and gray sweatpants on. And you said, how do you remember all of this? Because you recall when somebody makes a promise and you recall when somebody offends you, right? Every single detail, even details that you didn't even, you didn't brush your teeth that morning. That's exactly what you remember. So if you think as a person who is flawed and imperfect that you can be able to recall those details that God won't recall the promises that he's given for you. God will recall all of those promises and more. He'll recall ones that you don't even remember. He'll recall promises that family members will be saved, that generational curses will be broken. And all you have to do is say yes and sit back and watch him work. We need to recall the promises of our Lord and what he has given to us. Number one, from his word. 
Because in 2 Corinthians 1.20 it says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, to the glory of God through us. And let me remind you that Jesus said these promises as well to his disciples. And in John 16, after he says you will have promises, he then says you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. God recalls his promises and he recalls that you're going to have struggles when fulfilling them. And then we can be able to, as Abraham did, look up and be reminded of his goodness, reminded of his grace. The song used to say, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim through the light of his glory and grace. Let us recall the promises of God just as he recalls them to us. And for those of you who say, Pastor, it's been so, so long since I remember the details in those promises, let me tell you. Pull out your note app on your phone, grab a journal, and start writing it down. Give permanence to those promises. Because we have promises that have been written down and they have permanence. Will the details might change? Will the journey might change? Yes, but the promise will always be the same. God recalls his promises. Not only that, not, not only does God recall his promises, but God reminds us to be patient. Hmm. There, were, there wasn't a lot of like emphasis when I said patient. God reminds us to be patient. Genesis 15, 8 through 12, the Bible says, But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these, cut them into, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down the car, uh, on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a Thick and dreadful darkness came over him. You've heard it said before <clears throat> that God's three answers are yes, no, and wait. Not yet. Some people said not yet. That sounds like pessimist. <laughs> I've learned four. <clears throat> I'll give you four. The fourth one will be free. Okay? Okay, no, our favorite answer. Slow, as in slow down your thinking and wait for mine. Grow, you need to grow a little bit more in me and in your understanding of me before I can say yes. And then go. Go for it. I will bless it. So like I said, the fourth one is free. Abram recognizes God's authority. 
He doesn't question him. He says, can I get a little bit of a hint? It's exactly how the first half of this conversation went. Can I get a little bit more? How am I supposed to take possession of this? Because remember, in God's first half of this question, when talking about having a child, he talks about something that happens in his lifetime. He is going to have a child from his wife, Sarah. So it's immediate. But with the land, God has a different plan. So... God's response says, hey, sure, go shopping. <laughs> Do me a favor. Get me a couple items. We're going to cut a covenant. And Abraham realizes that we are going to cut a covenant, that we are going to make a contractual promise together. And do me a favor. Take care of the food prep. Season it all. Make it all nice. You know exactly how I like it. So Abram does. And what does he do? He waits. And he waits. And he waits. Do you think that we would be just as patient? Oh, it got quiet. We would never be just as patient. This man asked a question. And remember, it's the same conversation. This is happening within a couple minutes of it. And then he's told, grab animals. He recognizes that it's for a covenant. He cuts them and waits. He shoes the birds off and waits. The sun begins to set and he still waits. And this brother falls asleep while waiting for God to answer him. I'd fall asleep too. Or I'd go on YouTube and watch a couple of videos. Yet through all of his waiting, Abram never thought God wasn't going to deliver in answering him. May we get to the point when the Lord says, wait, that we don't get offended by the time he is taking. Because it is not our time he's wasting. It's his time where he is developing the right answer. Thank you for all of those amens. I'll say it again. <laughs> May we get to a point when the Lord says, wait, that we don't get offended, but that we get ready. Because what does it say of God's timing in the Bible? I love the book of Ecclesiastes, and in chapter 3, verse 11, I'm reading out of New King James. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, the hearts of mankind, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. So be encouraged and remember what it says in Galatians 6 verse 9. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We live in a generation of instant communication. So it's, uh, we're very impatient. Everything is a Google search away. But I remember a time, this is at the edge of my time as a child, but I remember a time, where we had this phrase and we would say, hey, I got this information that I need to look up for a paper. And parents would say, let's go look it up in the world book. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? All the older generation. Mm-hmm. 
The World Book or Encyclopedia Britannica was a set of volumes where you could not Google search something. You'd have to pick up the proper volume, get to the proper letter, and be like, all right, I'm looking at elephants, uh, ecclesia, and everything like that. And they, you had to take your time, and you had to read it, and then they would give you some references to other books because they would only give you about a paragraph, maybe at most. Why are we so impatient? Because we don't have to do this anymore. Thank God for technology. We're appreciative of that. But because of that, we don't know what it means to pause and yield to God's timing. So what do we do? Be patient. That was great. Nick had the security cameras on. That was great. I heard myself. Stop acting like the generation that we are, one of Google, one of instant communication, one of pause to text. Remember, it took Moses 80 years before he received his calling. And David was anointed at 17 years old. But last time I checked, David was an 18 when he received the kingdom. He waited and was patient. Even Jesus, when performing his first miracle, what does he say to his mom? Woman, Why do you trouble me? My time has not yet come. Let us be encouraged that God's perfect timing and his perfect will will be accomplished in our lives. Amen? The next one that I see is God reveals part of the plan. God reveals part of the plan. Genesis 15, starting in verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nations they serve as slaves And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In 400 generations, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites had not yet reached its full measure. Abram has a vision during his waiting. It's described as a deep Sleep. It's the same words that we use when God puts Adam in a deep sleep, when he is forming Eve. It's actually in Greek, when we translate it, it becomes anesteo. It's where we get anesthesia from. That same deep sleep. And it says that it's a dreadful darkness. Now, when we think of dreadful, of course, we think of the horror movie or the, the Jaws music starting. But that's not what this is. It's because God's presence is so great and he is showing Abram images and pictures that are in the future. You guys have seen it in movies all the time. What what God was doing with Abram was not just telling him what was happening, but giving him images of how his ancestors would be treated or his descendants. My fault. He probably heard the whips. He probably got a preview of the miracles. He probably saw the sea split. 
And that is what this dreadful darkness is about. It's because God is, is foretelling something to him that he himself will never see. Abram, you're going to receive the land. It's going to be powerful, but it's not time yet. I'll give you an heir immediately. And the, the vision and the, and the promise of having a child will be there. But there's going to take some time because unlike you, these people are not dependent on me yet. Hello? We all know what I'm talking about because there are parents in this room, grandparents in this room, that have made a decision to follow Christ. But it doesn't matter what it says of our faith when it comes to our children. We can be a great example. We can teach them the promises of God. But eventually, they themselves have to make a decision to follow God himself. And in the same way, Abraham is saying, hey, God, what of, what of my family? They have to make the same decision that you did. They're not going to be as obedient as you are. <laughs> so it's going to take some time for this to happen. He is saying, Abram, you're concerned about your lifetime, but I'm concerned about all of time and how this part of the plan needs to happen in order for the world to be able to be opened. What you guys need to understand is that when God tried to save the world the first time, the first time that he showed us, he chose human partners in Adam and Eve and the world was completely perfect. And when he tried to save the world on a mass scale or, or to invent the world on a mass scale, it messed up. He tried to do the exact same thing the next time with Noah, save all the world. But Noah and his descendants still failed. So what God said was that instead of trying to save the world as a whole, because every person is different and every person is trying to figure out what is good and evil in their own eyes, I will choose one person. I will choose one family. I will make it small enough so that when they believe and they grow and they reflect, they will be my people, people will be drawn to them, and it will be a preview of what I will do through Jesus Christ. God always has a plan, and he loves to reveal part of it to us. What does it say in Isaiah 55? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And let's think of the words of Jesus. Jesus were, uh, were with the boys after he was resurrected. He was with them for 40 days, revealed himself to over 500 people. And you know what the boys say in Acts 1.6? It says, and then they gathered around him and asked, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you, are you going to raise up the army and we're going to do it again? Shut up, boys. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set in his own authority, but you will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and ye will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, in the book of Acts, his words and his admonishment to the disciples have us in mind. Think about that. Pause. Are you ready to conquer like now and Israel is going to be this prominent nation? No, 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 no. There are plenty more people that need to get on board before I come back. Before I return, do me a favor. Wait in Jerusalem. You are going to receive a power that I have had this entire time. It is with me. He is the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive it. And like a target, you're going to start in the center and you're going to work your way out. How much have we benefited from 12 and then 120 spreading the mission of Christ across the world that now billions of people can claim that Jesus Christ is Lord? We have to ask God to continue to reveal parts of his plan to us. The leadership team does. We meet once a month, but we pray every day for fresh vision and fresh anointing and new perspective on his plan. I do. Heck, I say it all the time. Whenever, whenever God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Because if I do things in and of myself, I'm going to ruin it. But if you tell me what to do, if you tell me what the next step is, you are going to receive the glory with what we are doing in this church. And now you must do it as well. How? By prayer and fasting. By meditation and waiting on him. Be patient. By getting to work now while you're still waiting for the answers. Oh, nobody's amening after that. Okay? Hey, God, uh, you know, I, I got some promises for you. Cool, get to work. Get to work. Start serving. But what does me stacking chairs or setting up tables have to do with, like, this person? Everything. When you say yes to Jesus and you become a servant in his house, what will happen is that favor will follow your life, and people will want some of that favor. And then you can't say it's me. You can say it's Jesus. So we have to get to work. And some people say, Lord, I just want to know what your will is. They raise up their hands in their prayer closet or they raise their hands at the altar and say, Lord, just, just give me your will or give me a sign. It's getting to work to make fully devoted followers so that when he comes back, we can have so many more people with us. Because when he does come back, while we're still searching for his will, if we're not getting to work and making those disciples there are going to be a lot of people that miss out on a lot of promises. If we don't get to work, if you don't get to work, listen, I know that I work, but I can only affect 8 to 12 people. And last time I checked, my wife and my kids are the first three that have to be saved. That's the work that I have to do. But you guys have 8 to 12 people in your own life that you can be able to affect. And if we do that, how much more will heaven be populated? How much more will souls be changed for the life and the goodness of Christ? How much more if we do our part? And the great thing about it is that while we're doing our part, while we're getting busy, he gives us these little, these little nuggets of truth 
these little nuggets of the promise that he has given to us. He shapes us a little bit more. God completes what he starts. This has been a really good talk, guys. I did most of the talking, but, you know, I do that most of the time in my house. Ask my wife. The big thing that you need to get from all of this, the reason why God completes what he starts is that God roots all in his power. Musicians, if you would come forward. Genesis 15, 17 to 20. The Bible says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. God is always the one who starts the plan. When it starts with God, it will always be accomplished. We might have really good ideas, really good ideas, but if we start them without being on our knees in prayer, and an understanding, they'll be temporary. But God always starts the plan and finishes the plan. And it is a plan of redemption. It is a plan of salvation. It is a rescue plan for you and me. He gives Abram two symbols, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. And for us, we're like, what the heck is that all about? Why, does, why should that make sense to you and me? I'll give you a preview. Exodus 13, starting in verse 21. And the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. God was revealing to Abraham how he was going to lead Israel through the wilderness, how he was going to guide them with his spirit and with his power, with his wind and with his fire, how the Lord was going to interact with Moses and giving him counsel. Anytime that the cloud descended on the mountain or on the tent and Moses had a conversation with God, the people would stand outside of their tent, making sure that Moses would say, was safe. And as the cloud descended, the people knelt down in prayer before the Lord. And Abram is getting images, he's getting previews and parts of the plan of God's power. His power is mighty, greater than we can ever believe. And it says, that God passes through the sacrifices. That God made a covenant with Abram that day. 
For those of you guys who don't understand what an Old Testament covenant does, the reason why God asked for these animals and he had them cut in half and separated the sides is that two people that were coming under a contract would walk through the sacrifices and say, this is my commitment to make sure that this contract is accomplished. And if I don't complete my part of the contract, may I be like the animals that have been severed today. But Abram doesn't walk through. He's asleep. He's stilled. But God goes through through wind and through fire. Because he is telling Abram, your part in this is to follow me, but I'm the one that's gonna finish it. I'm gonna be the one that makes sure that it gets accomplished. And Abram, I might have given you a preview 400 years in the future, but long off, there's going to be another one of your descendants, another one of your seeds, one who was even before you. He was spoken about in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the women and between your seed and her seed, and he will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. It is an image of a wounded healer, of a savior who was pierced and who was broken. And who is he? And who is he? It says in the Bible that he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. There were powerful men that came, powerful men of faith, that understood and loved God, but they were only part of the plan. They were only part of the images because though they were great men of faith, though they were great women of faith, they failed in their own sin. They had their own mistakes. And I'm really glad for those people because I sin and I fall short. So I have examples of men and women who still succeeded beyond this life. In fact, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, calls them a great cloud of witnesses. People look at the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, and they talk about all the great things. But every single time I see one of those great hall of faith people, I remember the story after of the test that they messed up in. Because it gives me encouragement that I can have faults and I can have brokenness and I can have scars, but God can still bring the growth. God still causes the healing. God is the one who restores everything through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
John continues in his gospel in verse 15. It says, John the Baptist testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, God said, hey, I love the partners that I have, but I got to do it myself. I got to do it myself because I was the one that made the promise from the beginning. So what I am going to do is that I am going to take a young lady, I'm going to fill her womb with my Holy Spirit, and she is going to give birth to God in human form. And they named him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And this gentleman lived a sinless life. He did three years of preaching and teaching. He brought 12 guys around him to be able to teach them his ways to be examples for when he was gone. And what he did after this sinless life is that he pierced his hands and feet in a criminal's death so that you and I could be cleansed from our sins. The wages of sin is death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, ladies and gentlemen. So Jesus, God in human form, said, they all can't do it, but I'll do it. I'll do it on a cross. It will not be what I deserve, but it is what they need. But the story doesn't end at the cross. Our sin journey ends at the cross. But three days later, <laughs> three days later, that stone that took multiple men to be able to roll over his grave moved like if it was a feather by an angel. Not so that people could be able to see that he was raised. He was going to do that anyway. But because he wanted to show people the evidence, he is not here. He who once was dead is no longer dead. He is alive. Let me tell you something. Muhammad is in a tomb. Buddha is in a tomb. All the, the mantras of Hinduism and everything like that, they're all dead and gone. But my Jesus is still alive. Jesus is still alive. And he has a promise for you. He has a promise to save you. He has a promise to secure your future. He has a promise for your families. And it's time that we stop looking to the left and to the right at every other promise and guarantee and look above to the heavens to our God who has the answer to our prayers. Do you believe that this morning, church? Let's stand this morning.